0: Content warning. The Silence Voices Stories of MST podcast discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics related to military sexual trauma. We want to provide a safe space for survivors and those seeking to understand these issues better. Please be advised that the content may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know is in need of support, please consider seeking guidance from a mental health professional or a trusted resource. Welcome to Silence Voices, Stories of MST, hosted by Rachelle Smith. This podcast is dedicated to giving a voice to military sexual trauma survivors. Each week, we'll bring you powerful stories of courage, resilience, and healing. Join us on this journey to create awareness, spark dialogue, and drive change within the military community. It's time to break the silence and amplify the voices of those who have been silenced for far too long. Listen in and become a part of a movement that's shaping the future. This is Silence Voices, Stories of MST. Hi everyone, this is Rachelle Smith, your host as always. This is it, this is our final episode of the pilot episodes. A huge thank you to my guests, thank you to the listeners, thank you to anybody that supported us all throughout this journey. It has been kind of wonderful in a strange way to hear that people are able to go through something like this recover and then help others it's it's very amazing and incredibly humbling to meet these wonderful people in this episode I figured we would end on a positive note so I have Amanda as our guest she is a powerhouse veteran she's been putting out so much information and content to help female veterans connect and find their way after they separate And she also has a book out there that helps young women that are interested in joining the military learn the ropes and understand the culture and make that decision. She's a lovely woman. And I suggest you break out a pen or pencil because she mentions some really great organizations and conferences as well as that you might be interested in participating in or learning about in the future. And if you want to leave Amanda a note of thanks or encouragement, stick around to the end of the episode and I will show you how.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to, and honored to be on this podcast and just to be able to talk and share about my experience. I host Women of the Military. It's a podcast that highlights the stories of women who served in the military. And episode 250 is coming up, I think, next week. I know with recording, it'll be different, but I'm really excited. about hitting that milestone because that's i mean that's a huge amount of work and i'm really excited and i brought some past podcast guests to talk about you know experiences that we've had with doing the podcast and becoming friends and so it was a really fun episode to record so i'm excited to share that i've also written two books women of the military which is what got me into the podcast idea. And then I wrote a girl's guide to military service, which is for high school girls who are considering joining the military. And then I I'm doing a few other little projects here and there. And I'm a mom of two boys. And my husband is in the Space Force and he's been in just over 17 years.
0: This lady stays busy. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to talk to you. This episode will be a little different. I was so relieved and happy to hear that amanda had not actually had any experience with mst which is absolutely wonderful but she does provide some really keen insights of just what it's like to be a woman in the service what branch of the military did you serve in and if you want to talk about maybe your roles and responsibilities while you were in
1: sure i was in the air force i was a civil engineer so i was an officer i did rotc and then I graduated with my civil engineering degree. And so that was what my career field was. And this was 2007 when I joined, and civil engineers were deploying a lot. And fun mm-hmm. fact, they were deploying with the army. So I actually deployed with the army, and I was on a provincial reconstruction team. And so I was attached to an infantry unit, and we were out, you know, going around our little province in Afghanistan, doing all the construction reviews and it was quite not what i expected when i joined the air force but it was an experience and then when i got home from that my husband was already active duty and he was in the air force he just transferred to the space force a few years ago and he moved he got into school at the air force institute of technology so he was in ohio i went back to mexico my friend had a box of my stuff he left behind, <laughs> and then my commander, who was actual military, was able to get me a joint spouse assignment. so a few months after I got home from Afghanistan, I went to Ohio in the middle of January, and there was snow on the ground, and no one was doing anything and oh goodness. it was a crazy thing, and I didn't enjoy working at the headquarters building at Wright Pat, and we were thinking about starting our family and so when and I didn't wanna deploy with kids because I had seen moms in the bathroom, you know, trying to stay connected with their kids on the phone. And it was just really challenging. And the deployment was really challenging for me, you know, just to go through. And I know it was hard on my husband to be mm-hmm. alone and not really have support. And so when I got pregnant, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. And I had been at right pat over two years and my military commitment was up so I was able to you know, put in my six months notice and get out of the military a few months after my son was born
0: oh congratulations and you said you have two little boys
1: yeah they're seven and ten now so oh, that was wonderful. just a few years ago
0: <laughs> well I, I can definitely relate I was one of those kids that her mom was trying as hard as she could to stay in contact while she was over at Bagram and, and several other places. It's definitely hard and and back then I'd say it was between like 2007 and 2012. So it, we didn't really have the the FaceTime and actually no it was earlier than that. I'd say after 2001 actually. <laughs> yeah. So it is difficult to to be a mom and and then have just Your whole life is back there and then you also have to focus on the mission and staying safe at the same time so thank you so much for your service and and going out there and putting your life on the line for the country so other unique challenges that you might have faced while on deployment or just with with two of you being active duty what was that like
1: it was really challenging for us both being active duty we didn't see each other a lot and like you said the time frame of facetime was not a thing we got wi-fi (laughs) at Bagram like the last the last two weeks I was there when I was on my way home they had wi-fi and it was like oh my goodness they have wi-fi you don't have to go to the MWR computer and fight over a computer and a terminal and it was a time where we spent a lot of time on the phone connected Mm -hmm. but it was very different we sent a lot of emails and it was So different, but we were able to communicate a lot because he graduated a year before me. So we had already spent a year apart for me going to school and him being on his first year of active duty. And so we had a routine and rhythm that worked Mm -hmm. for us to stay connected, but we were both T Y deploy trainings out in the field for exercises. And then he was doing testing. And so we. I didn't see each other a lot and it was a lot of craziness. And then just with the moving, that was the other reason I decided to get out. It was fine with what we both had our careers. We were both really Mm -hmm. busy and we were able to stay connected through the phone. But when you add a family, that's like someone needs to be the stable person and both our career fields were a little bit crazy. So it was definitely challenging to be dual military.
0: Yeah, and it's also not guaranteed that you'll end up at the same duty stations, right? So that yeah. just puts an extra, <laughs> extra amount of stress on you. Yeah. But I love that your marriage is strong and and stayed strong throughout all of that. It's it's tough. Yeah. I want to go to your podcast and your book. I think the book came first, correct?
1: book was written first but it was published after the podcast exactly. I had used it as like when I started the podcast I was worried I wouldn't be able to get enough guests and so I kept those stories as a way oh, no. to like have as a backup plan but then I ended up not needing them and so then I was like what do we do with them and so I, <laughs> I published it as a book
0: what motivated you to create that and share all of these stories
1: so I was a blogger for a long time and i did this crazy thing called write 31 days i think they still do it but you write every day in october and you have a different topic and you can plan i planned ahead because the first year i did it i did it every day and i was like this is so stressful (laughs) i don't like this but you write every day in october and it's a community where you like share blog posts and i did it the first year was like based on just words and it was all I related it to military stuff and then the next year I did travel and then the third year I did deployments and I thought that the deployment stories would mainly be from the male colleagues that I have deployed with and the other men that I knew from the military but none of those people wanted to talk to me and I actually got all these stories from women and I was like what Women, women in the military are amazing, and so I was like, "Who cares about deployments?" Let's learn more about women in the military, and that was my first step into learning about women. And i just learned so much more, both history and new things that our women are doing. And I've been blown away. It was a big pivot, and it wasn't mm-hmm. really planned. It was like deployments, and then all the people who were responding were women, and I was, this is really interesting.
0: What well, was one of the stories that might have stood out to you the most out of any of those
1: there were a few people who were on navy
0: ships and
1: i was so fascinated with learning about the navy and hearing about their experiences and the stuff they talked about like standing watch and being out and going all the different ports and all these things and i was like this is so cool and then there were other women who had done jobs I hadn't really thought women were doing, like there was an interrogator and then oh. someone was in an AWACS. I knew they were doing it, but I had never heard their stories. And nice. so there was all these stories of women doing amazing things. And I thought, well, I'm kind of unique. I went on this weird deployment, but then I found out, no, that lots of women are going on these unique deployment situations and doing things nobody knows about. And that was kind of what led me to want to dive deeper into the stories of women, because women who serve
0: in the military are amazing. I agree. And we are a rapidly growing veteran population now. It's exciting. I don't know if the VA is ready for us, but
1: (laughs) here we are. I feel like they are doing a lot of things. I just got registered with the VA in the last year, I guess, yeah, it's almost been a year. And I did my disability claim and I had my first appointment once I got everything set up and got my appointment scheduled and it was the best appointment I've had with the doctor and I was blown away. I mean the doctor was younger than me and she Mm -hmm. like went through my whole blood work and told me why these numbers are important. I felt seen and cared for and understood unlike a lot. I, I would say almost all my medical treatment has been with the military but It was so nice to be able to say, like, I'm getting older. Should Mm -hmm. I be worried about breast cancer? Or I had melanoma. Can you give me a referral? Yes, of course we will. And it was just such a good appointment. And I Mm -hmm. felt. cared for and taken care of.
0: That's wonderful. I love to hear that. Mm -hmm. the, The good experience about the VA, because it's. I I know that the experience is very different depending on where you live. So when I I hear that someone's actually taken care of very well, it's just, it's refreshing to hear. Yeah,
1: I think the Center for Women, you know, the clinics they have that are specifically for women Mm -hmm. are so important. And I originally was going to a clinic and they were like, you don't want to go to that clinic because it doesn't see women. You should go to the hospital. They have a specialized women's clinic. You need Mm. to go there. I think that's really good advice too.
0: Yeah, and there's there's so many different resources that they offer. So in your book, you discuss the various experiences. Is that also what happens on your podcast?
1: Yeah, so we mm-hmm. always start with, why did you decide to join the military? And then we go through their military story, and depending on time frame or different topics that they want to talk about, we go through their story, and we touch on transition, and then what they're doing today and then I always like to end with advice that women want to share for the next generation.
0: That's awesome. Is there a piece of advice that stuck out to you?
1: I think the surprising thing is that even though sometimes the stories that I hear on the podcast are really hard and people have difficult experiences, I mean we have had people who are open and share about their military sexual trauma mm-hmm. and they still surprise me that so many women recommend joining the military. You know, there's a bit of you know precaution of, you should take care of yourself, you mm-hmm. should advocate for yourself, you should, you know, reach out to someone. And that's one of the things I want the podcast and the community to support those women who are joining the military. But it surprises me how many women had such a positive impact from serving in the military, even with some of the bad things that happened. And I mean, it's hard to be a woman in the military no matter what. I didn't, it wasn't sexually assault or rape, but I did deal with harassment because that's a part of being a woman in the military. I feel like I'm yeah.
0: that's part of being a woman in, in a male dominated yes. career field for sure. Speaking of that, I'm sure that plenty of us airmen or other service members, we've encountered misconceptions or stereotypes about. Just being a woman in general in the service, was there one that might have affected you in particular? Yeah. So
1: I ended up in the military because I'm really into Enneagram right now, but I have four. And so <laughs> I wanted to do something unique and different. And mm-hmm. no one in my family had served in the military. And I didn't know anyone really who had joined the military. So doing something unique and different where I, and then the fact that I was a woman and I stood out as even more unique and different, mm-hmm. I think that was re- really drove me to the military. I mean, I talk about September 11th and blah, blah, blah. But like, that was like the innate drive of like the uniqueness and the differentness, which is funny because the military is so uniform and stuff. But true. in <laughs> my own way, I stood out and it really drove me to do that And so that was kind of like the military was something that I learned about. And then I was like, oh, that sounds like a fun, unique, different experience. And then the more I learned about it, the more I loved it. And I did the reserve officer training Corps program. So I got to try it out without a scholarship and I could walk away. And so that was also nice. Cause I got to be mm-hmm. like, do I wanna do this? And then I really liked it. And so that was how I kind of like gradually.
0: Awesome. <laughs> to the military. with the enneagram is, is number four being a unique personality or it's i think it's called the individualist and they're ah, okay.
1: often creative and like to do unique like we have an inner drive to be unique and different so like you were saying like i'm super busy and it's like no i'm just creative and i'm doing all these different <laughs> things because i really like to do new things and different things and then. Once I accomplish it, I'm like,
0: okay, on to the next thing. I hear you. I hear you. I'm um, a number two. So that one's the helper. Helper, yeah. And uh, it, it's shown over and over again throughout life. And it's, it's really interesting to see what you gravitate toward. Two really fits with your podcast theme of like wanting mm-hmm. to help people.
1: It makes a lot of sense.
0: So with your podcast... Can you talk about the importance of growing your listenership and, and making that community online has had on your life in general after the military?
1: I try not to focus on the numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're important, but it's really the interaction with my guests. And I was so lonely when I started the podcast because I didn't have connection with women veterans. Even though I like to be unique and different, I don't really like, uncomfortable with like who i was and how i interacted with women who were not military and i felt really like a fish out of water and it's only through doing the podcast that i've created friendships with other women veterans so many women i know from linkedin and then i get to have them on the podcast and then you know i've got to do panels with them or see them at conferences and they also are the type of people that if i had something i was really struggling with that I could reach out to. Mm-hmm. And when the pull out of Afghanistan happened, I had multiple women who knew I had deployed to, to Afghanistan reach out to me and ask, like, how are you dealing with this? Do you need someone to talk to? And that is what's most important to me is the people that I meet and the podcast. Not every podcast guest becomes my best friend and we stay connected. Sometimes it's just like an interview and then you know we don't really stay connected. But Sometimes those interviews turned into real lasting friendships that Mm -hmm. have changed my life. It's how I learned about Women Veteran Alliance, which is a women veteran organization. And I've been to the UN Conference, which is their conference twice, which is Melissa Washington pretty much just spoiling the crap out of women veterans. Free clothes, there's hair and makeup, there's all this special stuff just for women veterans. And then you get to be around women veterans, which is just even more amazing. It's been the community in that sense of like building friendships and
0: getting involved with women veterans. Yeah, it sounds like some incredibly strong bonds. It's amazing. We definitely just as veterans have a different perspective, but then you add a gender into it and it changes a whole lot. What would you say are the unique strengths or perspectives that we as women bring to the military or even after the military,
1: I think there's, I know it sounds kind of like cliche to say there's a sisterhood, but there really mm-hmm. is a sisterhood because being a woman in the military is really challenging. The mm-hmm. more I've learned about history, it's like, oh, they really did not want us there. They did not <laughs> want women in the military. And there's still people who don't want, want women there. They don't think women should be there. And I was just talking to my friend this morning and she was talking because I, I'm working on this new project with my friend and I'm like, I don't really like working with people because there's a little bit of trauma from my deployment and some of the stuff that happened there. But then Mm -hmm. also like she was saying women veterans typically don't like working with people because that's kind of asking for help and saying like, I can't do this, I need help Mm -hmm. and men would get help naturally because people who are your boss are male and like there's mentorship and relationship stuff that naturally occurs but for women because we're women oftentimes you don't get that natural mentorship so then when you're behind and trying to get caught up in special treatment it's really you just getting what your male colleagues are getting naturally and so so women kind of are like we don't want to ask for help because we want to be seen as being able to do it all And working on a team with someone, is like, well, I could do everything. Why would I hand off, you know, some of the responsibility? I feel like I got sidetracked from the question, but I feel like over time, like, I've learned that I need to, like, bring more people in and and give up some of that
0: control. That's a great lesson, though. That's something I think women, regardless of their career, or even if they're stay-at-home moms, like, it's it's hard to ask for help because... Pretty much in all the media and whatnot, it's it's showing women that have a career. They're also moms. They're also somehow able to bake cookies for the PTA meetings. There's no way, there's no way. Yeah. But that that is an incredible takeaway. I hope people take that with them. So about the book that you had published recently, it was the Girl's Guide. Can you speak yeah. more about that one?
1: Yes, yeah, so I created a free, I call it lead magnet, but it's a free like 10 page uh, document for girls who are considering joining the military because I was working with a mentor who said like, when's the earliest you can help women who are transitioning out of the military? Mm-hmm. And we went all the way back and realized if women join the military with a strong foundation that prepares them for when they leave. And so I created this and I was like, how am I gonna get this free guide out to women who are joining? Cause I don't know, I'm connected to veterans. <laughs> I'm not yeah. connected. And women started downloading it and I was like, oh, there you go. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> Girls are finding it. I have no idea what, how they're finding it or where they're searching for it and they're finding it. That's when I was like, this is great to have a 10-page guide, but there's so much more I want to say. And so I decided to write a book about the whole topic and was able to get it published with a small military publisher, Larissa And they helped me get it published. And then now it's out in the world. And it's won two awards, just won silver with the Military Writers Society of America, and then it was a gold medal winner for the Benjamin Franklin Independent Book Publishers of America Awards. That was really exciting to get recognized in that way as
0: well. Absolutely. Congratulations on that. How did that feel? Did you feel like all of your experiences were then validated?
1: at the? first one, the Benjamin Franklin, I got to go to the award ceremony, and they let the gold medal winners go on stage, but I didn't know if I was going to win gold. I knew I was going to win gold or silver, and I couldn't get myself to write an acceptance speech because I was so worried if I didn't get on stage, like how disappointed I would feel, Mm and when I won, it was kind of overwhelming because I was like, oh, people actually like this book, this book is validated, it's needed, and so that Mm -hmm. was really cool to get that, and then it was really exciting to get to be a finalist and then a silver medal winner for the Military Writers Society of America, because that's a military organization that's recognizing it, and Mm -hmm. they understand the value of why I wrote the book and how it's needed in the military community, so that was really exciting.
0: It definitely is, congratulations again, I love that. What do you think would be maybe the biggest piece of advice that might stick out to young women when they read that book?
1: I think knowing why you want to join and how important it is to use that why to help you figure out everything else. And so remember that you can always pivot, but a lot of people join the military and they don't really know what they want, which is understandably when Mm -hmm. you're 17, 18, but If you're joining the military because you want to get your GI Bill and that's like why you're joining, then that gives you a lot more flexibility about a career field because you could do something crazy like jump out of airplanes that's (laughs) not really applicable to the real world. But Mm -hmm. if you want to do the military for a career and serve 20 years and then get out doing something that might be more in line with the job that you get in the future and then knowing that you can pivot Mm -hmm. and change like you can often switch career fields. I was thinking I was served 20 years and I got out at six. There's always an opportunity to change, but if you know why you're doing what you're doing, that can help guide so many decisions.
0: When people decide to pivot, do you think that they feel kind of scared or lost, or is it the next big adventure?
1: I think pivoting is crucial in so many things because, you might need to turn directions. I was talking to someone, they were like, they had a business and I was like, well, it sounds like you need to pivot. And she's like, you're not supposed to pivot. And I'm like, no, you got that advice. You're supposed to pivot all the time. You're supposed to be listening to like what your audience wants, try different things and change. And I think that's something you can use in your real life as well. Maybe you thought you were gonna go on this path and then you join the military and the job you're doing is something that you don't like at all. There's no reason not to cross-train or to get out, Mm -hmm. and there's no shame in not knowing what you want. I think sometimes, especially when, like, you're going to college and you're 17, 18, and you're like, I have to decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's like, no, you don't. You have so many opportunities, and, (laughs) I mean, my degree is in civil engineering, and now I host podcasts. I've pivoted a lot.
0: We put a little too much pressure on Our teenagers to make those lifelong decisions so young when there's just this whole world out there and you haven't really been exposed to much depending on where you live or what your experiences have been. So (laughs) I totally agree. That is great advice. I think that advocacy and awareness for female veterans are also very vital. And it sounds like you're really accomplishing that with your podcast was that the initial goal or something that came out
1: of it? I mean, the initial goal was to tell stories of women because I I started hearing the stories about deployment and I was like, people need to know these stories. The initial goal was just to tell stories, Mm -hmm. but the ripple effect of all the other things like the history that I've learned. I've read so many books about women who served during World War II Mm -hmm. and I just finished Wings of Gold, which is about the first six Navy women pilots in the seventies and hearing their stories. And I just know so much about the history of military women. And so the initial goal was just to tell the stories, but then I didn't realize how much I, how much I didn't know, I, sh- I should have known that I didn't know anything, because <laughs> I didn't know anything, but I didn't realize how much I missed mm-hmm. in ROTC. We did this whole thing on military history. Mm -hmm. and I didn't learn about the WASP, the Women Air Force Service Pilots, which I think is really sad because I was in the Air Force. I should have learned about the first women pilots in the Air Force during the history, but either that wasn't part of the curriculum, that wasn't what the person who led the class thought was important to talk about, so I never heard about that. And I think not knowing those stories and knowing the history of women is something now I've learned is absent in so many stories of history. And so it was something I wasn't aware of and the podcast opened my eyes and made me a bigger advocate for more than just veterans history, but the stories of all women and how much history we don't know.
0: It seems like it definitely depends on your instructor or your teacher and where their bias may lie. (laughs) within creating that community do you think that's something that you'll be able to branch out into in the future is maybe i don't know a youtube channel about just women's history military wise and trying to share that information with people that well like me don't know
1: (laughs) i mean i don't know i am trying to figure out what i want to do next with the podcast because even though there's still a bunch of stories to tell there's New stuff that I want to start covering and looking at, and I started a podcast for a software engineering company. Which, since they were paying me, I had to do live video, and it actually (laughs) has been something that I've been really enjoying having the comments and the feedbacks and the Mm -hmm. questions. And so I'm thinking next year of switching from doing more of a podcast instead of doing a live show on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook, and Covering different topics because there is so much more that I want to do. And so that is something that I'm working on. And then I told you a little bit before we started that Mm -hmm. I'm starting to work on like a women veteran creative called Boots, Mics, and Pens. And it's for authors and podcasters. But I think eventually there'll be more. But I see it as a women veteran creative group where we can connect and be creative and. Encourage each other and work together, and so I'm really excited about the possibilities there and how I'll be able to work with women and tell stories, but mm-hmm. not my stories, helping them write their own
0: stories. It's wonderful that all of this is coming together like that, and I can't imagine the amount of inspiration that all these new people that join that group will will find from it, and just even the support of finding more female veterans to spend time with and get to know and increase that bond. It's it's a very strong one. And it's, I, I was speaking with another guest saying that it's kind of isolating to be a female veteran, especially if you move to an area where there isn't a large veteran population or there isn't a military base nearby. So even just finding a Facebook group or LinkedIn one is this sigh of relief, like, okay, these people understand me. <laughs>
1: And the women veteran conferences I highly recommend if you get a chance to I know some states like Florida and Texas do one every year. I think Virginia does as well. But being in a room full of women veterans mm-hmm. where everyone's a woman veteran is so amazing. It's it's so indescribably amazing. It's a, a different kind of
0: energy, right? Yeah. How do you think that civilians could better support and honor the contributions of female veterans and society as a whole like what do you think that we should do to give other female veterans and ourselves the recognition that we deserve that you know I think a lot of the time we're just not getting
1: yeah I feel really uncomfortable wearing the like female veteran shirts and you know (laughs) those hats but Mm -hmm. I feel like that's really important to do and so sometimes I force myself to do it because it's kind of a crummy situation. We have to be the ones who are telling people that we serve to change their perspective. And actually, I think the easiest way to do it is to use Veterans Day as a day to go into classrooms, especially if you're a mom. Even if you're not a mom, you can still do it. It just would be more challenging. Mm -hmm. But I just emailed my son's teacher today and then I was like, if you need a veteran to come into the classroom, I will be there because going into the classroom with first graders it changes their perspective on the future and my friend who this happened a few years ago but i didn't even know that she was paying attention her daughter was listening to me talk about me myself being in the military and Mm -hmm. i said draw a veteran i think she was in kindergarten and she's my friend called me and was like she drew you and i was like and it made me tear up and i'm almost gonna tear up now but the fact that she drew someone who looked like her and knew, like, I didn't specifically tell her I was in the military, but I did tell my story and I talked about it with her mom and she heard that. And so when they said, draw a veteran, she drew someone who looked like her instead of, you know, what typical a male. And so I think talking to that next generation and telling them about your service and your story and getting out into the community. And sometimes it's really hard. There is a lot of trauma, so not everyone needs to do it. People like me, we're doing it to make sure that we do that. But that's, what I'm trying to build relationships and mm-hmm. get into the classroom. And I love when the little kids have to draw a veteran and they draw, you know, a girl. If they're a girl, they draw a girl who looks like them. And it does doesn't have to what's your picture of a veteran? It's it's you, you could be a veteran. It doesn't matter, you know, what your race is or your gender, you exactly. can do it if you wanted. We have to change the perception of the next generation and then, you know, those kids talk to their parents and share their stories. They bring home the picture of a woman mm-hmm. veterans and they're easiest to talk to. My one of my friends who was on the and no, I am still talking. Grace Lato, she was on the podcast and she mm-hmm. writes children's books. She wrote Captain Mama and it's a series of three books. So I actually yeah. go in with her first book because she goes through her uniform and the little boy pulls off the patches and asks what each one was. And so I'll read the story and then I'll bring my uniform and take off my patches and tell a little bit of my story. And so that book I really think is a great way to go into the classroom read a children's book to, I even read it to my son's fourth grade class last year, and then talk about the patches and the service. And so that's a great way to open the door of conversation. You don't have to be like, what do I say to these first graders? You can read a book and then, you know, bring your uniform and show your service through your patches. So that's really
0: cool. And even just speaking to First graders and fourth graders, they automatically think you're a superhero <laughs> when you come out with the uniform on and they are just these little sponges, they have so many questions and their enthusiasm is just endless it's it's the best thing in the world and I love that you have that whole visual aid of how much representation matters it's very true. Yeah. What advice could you give someone that's transitioning out if they're struggling to balance maybe finding a new career or putting their interest in a new hobby that might become a business or might become an award-winning book? What strategies or coping skills would help them the most?
1: I think that the number one thing is that you need to remember it takes time. Yes. I got out of the military ten years ago, so it's not like I did all these things in six months. It's been years and years. My initial blog started with me writing five minutes once a week. Someone was like, You were writing five minutes today. I was like, No, I was writing five minutes once a week. Let's not let not go too crazy. It's not it doesn't have to be anything big. You can start with Five minutes once a week working on that idea that you want to do and then it can grow to like 10 minutes and then 30 minutes as time goes on things pop up and then sometimes you have to put it on the back burner and then come back to it i was writing my memoir and then i took like a year and a half break and i finally started to write again that's just part of the process exactly sometimes Mm -hmm. stuff happens and so i would say don't get discouraged and know that it takes a lot of time and also know you can do anything but put your mind to. The military is giving you all the tools. You have the veteran community that can help you, but it will take time, a lot of hard work, but you can do it. It's just,
0: it's just a lot of work and a lot of time. Yep, and a lot of patience. What would you suggest maybe to people that don't live near a base or near a large veteran community outside of maybe the conferences or Facebook groups? Do you think there's, also another way that you might run into veterans?
1: I mean, I live in LA. There's a base here. There's not really, I mean, there's not really a military community, Mm -hmm. but I think being on LinkedIn has been a really good way to stay connected with people, because if you search LinkedIn, a lot of people put veteran in their profile and you can just start looking. (laughs) That's what I did. I was like, oh, there's a woman. I'll be friends with her. Okay,
0: that's great advice.
1: LinkedIn is a great place to connect with veterans because so many veterans that are on LinkedIn and they're talking about resources. There's so many resources out there that, like, Cohen Veterans Network is nationwide. They don't have it in every state, but they have it in almost every state. Mm-hmm. And that's free counseling for post 911 veterans. So if you are a veteran and you're struggling with something or a family member, they offer free counseling. And that is just something I had no idea listed, and then I learned about it. And then there's all these different, like, you have the GI Bill, but then there's Vet Tech or, you know, Tech Careers, where you don't, you, you, you if you have one month left of your GI Bill, then you can use Vet Tech or VRAP. I just learned about that one as a, for more like music or creativity. So there's all these extra, you know, organizations and programs that are out there that can help you. And a lot of them are digital. So I would get involved in the veteran community. And I think the easiest way to put your toe into the veteran community is to get
0: connected with people on LinkedIn. Definitely. Search out all of those different resources in your area. You never know what to find.
1: When you're leaving the military, there's like, talk to a veteran, especially if they've been out for more than five years, because they can be like, oh, you need these six programs. And these are the best ones. And this is why you should talk to them. And here's who you should go to. and." these are the six things you need to do on the military side because we have all this knowledge and we're ready to like hand it over.
0: That is so true, (laughs) it's super true. Uh, You remember when you were getting out and there was, I think it was a briefing they gave you maybe two or three months before you get out and they just turn open this fire hose of information where you're just like, I have no idea. (laughs) And it was like a six to eight hour class of just, everything and it, it was just way too much so find somebody that's been out for a while
1: and there's a lot of good books by veterans who've written about transition too so that would be another good resource so grace sato wrote brand before resume which is about transitioning and figuring out who you are so that you can figure out what you want to do and so her book is a good book for re- as a resource but there's so many other books about transitioning by veterans
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Amanda. In this last few minutes, if there's an organization or a person or a resource of some sort that you think really just got you through, please give them a shout out. And I will, I mean, I know we've talked about a lot of people and organizations, so I'll add that all to the show notes so people can find them, but this is your your spotlight. Go for it.
1: I think my biggest regret is not getting involved with VA healthcare before this past year. I finally did my VA disability claim and it came back way higher than I ever expected. Oh. <laughs> and uh, truly life changing in the financial stability that it's providing our family. And then VA healthcare, I'm getting my healthcare at the VA now. And that was something I was like, I have TRICARE. Why would I go to the VA? That's one thing I wish I would have known about and taken advantage of. And I think it's so important that everybody get registered with the VA and Mm -hmm. they extended the time to 10 years instead of five. So you have more time to get into the system without having to worry as much about your income. And so those are the really important things I think people need to know about and the thing I wish I would have done. There's so many more resources. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, I know that this is a podcast focused on military sexual trauma and I interviewed Shannon Howe and she does Shield of Sisters and they provide resources and I met her at the in-person at the Women Veteran Unconference and she was talking about the different things they do and the healing that they do in our workshops and so I, I would highly recommend checking out Shield of Sisters and reaching out to them because they're doing amazing work.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. That was Amanda. She has such a wealth of information to share. Please look her up on LinkedIn. She has so many connections and knows so many people. If you're struggling in your transition into civilian life, don't worry. She knows a whole bunch of people that can help you out. So I mentioned before, this is the final episode of season one. and. What does that mean for this podcast? Well, nothing but good news, to be honest. Season two will be coming out in April. Go ahead and join our email list on the website. There will also be some journals that are coming out soon. I will keep you updated on that. And our YouTube is going to be on and popping as, well, I guess the kids probably don't say that anymore, but I'm coming out with a lot of new content on YouTube and sharing it other places as well, just to kind of aid people through the claims process with the VA, news updates as they happen, and then also any information regarding coping skills, whether that's breathing techniques or book reviews, lots of things out there to keep people connected and informed on MST. The more information that's out there, the better. And I noticed when I started this podcast that there are... Lots of questions, but very few answers. In season two in April, you can look forward to hearing from a lot of people that work for nonprofits that support MST survivors, as well as some really interesting subject matter experts that have done a lot of research into MST and how it impacts not only the person. And then you can also hear interviews about people that are working with the VA to incorporate alternative medicines like psilocybin mushrooms into treatment of PTSD and depression. So we have a lot of interesting stuff coming up. And I also have a surprise announcement, but I'm still going to keep that under wraps for a little while. But I truly think this podcast helped me take a step in the right direction so I can accomplish this goal of helping and supporting MST survivors and this podcast steered me into a position where I think I can do just that but you'll have to find out when season two starts so we'll see then if you need support please don't hesitate to reach out although I said this is the last episode I will actually be reading a lot of those salute to survivor notes next week so you can have that to look forward to so many people reached out we'll see you in April until then, I hope you stay safe, be kind, and take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Silence Voices, Stories of MST. Your support means the world to us. To keep these important conversations going, we rely on your generosity. Consider donating to help us continue to shed light on this crucial issue. Visit our website at www. Silencevoicesmst.com to contribute, get involved, and join our community. Together, we can make a difference. Stay tuned for more inspiring stories, and remember, your voice matters.